Yes, it is I, your humble host, Bill Hatch the Third, coming to you live from the Palatial Home Studios of Falls Pods Productions here in the beautiful city of Santa Ana, California, to bring you yet another episode of YWL Online's Totally Approachable Bible Study for All. Joining me as per usual in studio is my friend, my brother in Christ, the disembodied voice of Rudy. Hi everybody, I love y'all. Waka waka with the Lord. And joining us from a more than acceptable safe social distance is my father, Chaplain Bill Hatch. How you doing, Pop? Doing well. Good evening, my fellow Bible Inquisitors. Tonight, we're broadcasting my portion from... Branson, Missouri. You sure do like that, Branson, Missouri. A beautiful piece of God's country. (laughs) Oh, yes, you sure do like that, Branson, don't you? I do. It's a very Christian-oriented place. Not perfect place, but a good place. But a good place. I mean, yep, it's, it's certainly not heaven, but... You know, I think you can see it from here. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the the inquisitors of Branson uh, should surely appreciate that, if we have any there. Especially if they're named Shirley, maybe. <laughs> yes, especially Shirley from Branson. Well, we've got a lot of material to go through tonight, but I think first we have time for some Rudy news. You know what? I hear that we have like about a hundred and something listeners or followers or listeners, right, Bill? Something like that. And uh, I appreciate that because you know that saying, we could save one. I don't want that saying. I want to save all. (laughs) Indeed. And and me uh, me and Bill. We've been listening to, in Israel, they're already doing, uh, what, what were they, uh, saying that there's a Messiah over there. Yes, and they're already doing stuff to, to start the new, the third. They might have, uh, they might have some red heifers. Yeah, they got red heifers there. The guys already, they said in a year they're going to show the Messiah. That the, uh, one of those guys are saying uh, that they, they, they already had a meeting with the Messiah. And they're doing the rituals of the new temple they're getting water from uh that pond the pool of shalom yeah and they're uh starting to celebrate they're playing trumpet horns and they're saying that they're, they show pictures of the guy but they said that in a year they're going to show they're going to uh, reveal him so please they're already talking about these things so please look for god find god and help everybody as much as you can with the word to help them be saved because you know what? We're getting some bad times. I love you all. Waka 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 with the Lord. Yep. You got to remember what Jesus said uh, when they say, uh, look, he's out in the desert or look, he's in the inner chambers. Not to believe them because that's not how it's going to be. He'll come from the sky. Yep. Not the sky, but the sky. The sky. Yes. <laughs> the sky. <laughs> And all will be able to see him at yes, once. Yes, everybody will see him at once. He's not hiding anywhere. That will anywhere. be an amazing thing. It will indeed. Yeah. So maybe People this could be, be uh, some signs of the end times, or maybe it's not. We don't really know, because uh, we don't do uh, newspaper eschatology around here. But uh, we do keep an eye out for things that are happening. 
So you never know what uh, when uh, you don't. We don't know when things are going to happen because uh, God says nobody knows. Jesus said nobody knows except the Father when uh, when these things are going to happen. Right. That's true. We need to be yep. ready. Certainly, we need to be aware of them. Ready every moment. And we especially need to see how the how events are working out in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. That part I'll yep. agree with. Uh, we should not believe, as some people do, that the New Jerusalem will come down. For instance, here in America, <laughs> or anywhere else in the world. We certainly know we have enough antichrist going around all the time. Uh, and what this is about earlier, you know, and being seen elsewhere other than in the sky, I just have my sincere doubts, but we need to keep an eye on all of that fact, those facts together. And in the meantime, we have quite a few songs. We do. And a couple of them have so many references to uh, the time of Jesus and even to the time, end times. We yep. get to look at those tonight. This is, as uh, as I was reading uh, uh, some of the commentaries, uh, has been said, has been called a titan of, uh, of a song because of all the material that's in it and... Uh, uh, and all of that. So yeah, we've definitely got some great stuff tonight. But uh, let's start as we do with titles. Sure. Um, let's see. I've got from the Amplified, the God of Sinai and of the Sanctuary, to the Chief Musician, a Psalm of David, a Psalm. Now tell the audience that we're in Psalm 68. Oh, now. yes, we're in Psalm 68. <laughs> well, they should know because they've been listening all along. <laughs> How easy it is, though, to forget. Yes, yes. Indeed. So we need to watch that. Um, so, yeah, so okay. that's amplified. Uh, the English standard says, God shall scatter his enemies. The Berean standard says, God's enemies are scattered. And the King James says, Let God's enemies be scattered with an exclamation point. And one of mine says, God's majestic power. Okay, I like that one. For the choir director, a psalm of David, a song. Okay. My daily reading Bible, one that the wife and I do with studying every night. Psalm 68 was written for David's procession with the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. And it calls for, let's see. Nope, that's, I almost went into 69. I don't want nope, to do that. Nope, we don't want to do that. Sorry. Let's see. Uh, God who goes forth conquering provides for the helpless. And when God enters into battle, the wicked crumble. That's right off the bat at, at verses one and two. Uh, but those are some of the points that I have. Only in the daily reading Bible did I find about it being part of David's procession when uh, they were try trying to get the ark from the house of Obed-Edom 
to Jerusalem. It does not say if it was the first try or the second try. And so if we can put, though, if that is an accurate one for Psalm 68, we can put it in a timeline of sorts. Yes. Because the Ark had been captured by the Philistines back at the time of, well, actually, Eli was the high priest until that day. And it spent only several months in uh, different cities of the Philistines and kept giving them sores that we won't talk about right here, <laughs> but they included hemorrhoids. Uh, and they sent it back to the Israelites and it ended up at the house of Odom Edom until David tried to move it through. So it literally stayed away from Jerusalem uh, all during the time of Samuel, all the time of um, Saul. So those were, we don't know exactly how long Samuel was in charge, but we know it was 40 years for Saul. And then when David is king, after he is given the whole kingdom, because he started off for seven years in Judea only as king. And then, so at the beginning, somewhere in that time frame, is when he wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem. But lo and behold, they didn't read the directions. <laughs> Typical guys, uh, they didn't read the book of God. Uh, and sure enough, somebody got killed uh, because they touched the ark. And we believe that was by some super, supra electrical charge type of situation. Uh, but they weren't carrying it properly. The next time they were carrying it properly, and I don't know if that's where we get Psalm 68 or not, but it should be one of those two. Dr. Uh, Dr. John MacArthur uh, dates it to, uh, let's see, he says the writing of the psalm may have come out of David's jubilant restoration of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, chapter 6, verses 12 to 15. Uh, I didn't look that up to see which one it is, but I believe that's the second return, second attempt. It actually was successful. Um, let's see. Um, Dr. Ellicott, however, Charles Ellicott, Charles John Ellicott, there's a lot of Johns out there uh, doing commentaries on the Bible, uh, seem to believe... But it's a jubilant return. Yes, jubilant return. Um, seems to believe that this is a second te temple uh, psalm, and so it was not written by David. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, so we'll, uh, we can see on that because of uh, certain... Uh, certain references, um, let's see, uh, because uh, there was uh, no time, um, let's see, rising into completion at a time when Israel could boast of no military greatness, but found its strength only in religion. The poetical form is irregular, varying with the subject and tone. Uh, but uh, uh, but because yeah. of the, uh, because it's not specifically stating any particular uh, uh, refer referring to any particular victory um, and only to religious 
victories that this wasn't a David's a Davidic song. So uh, uh, so there are definitely uh, different opinions on it. Um, or it may be a revitalized one from David's time frame, as we sometimes see in some of the Psalms. This one, we just don't have a definite right. reference. Um, but, uh, uh, but there are uh, ref plenty of references in the psalm uh, to other songs. Uh, Moses and Deborah and, uh, and the like. And uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, so it's an interesting, uh, an interesting psalm full of references, full of, uh, full of material. Yep, both for David's time or if it's a later writer and the time of Jesus, for sure. Absolutely. And so we get to look at a couple of those that are fun to look at. Yep. Because it's amazing how many clues God gives us in the Old Testament about the earthly life of Jesus and how many of them got fulfilled. And, oh, wow, isn't that neat if we really take time to look at it? And so there we go. Uh, but I especially like the way uh, my study Bible said, when God enters the battle, the enemies flee. Literally, the wicked crumble as we have it. So there's no standing up against God. There's only standing with him and for him, too. It's still with him. That's still with him because uh, he's always with us. I would hope so. Now, I know that he always is. Yes. I hope I always realize, recognize that. Because it gets difficult sometimes. Oh, I should have got, I should have gotten and gotten the water. I have had the worst dry mouth. Couldn't believe it. But uh, let's I go understand. ahead and get into the material. Okay. Okay. Uh, first one. Um, I got a reference to uh, Numbers 1035. Uh, whenever the ark set out, set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So there's a good reference point about moving the ark, isn't there? There is indeed. Now as well. But it seems to also reference battles with verse 2. As smoke is blown away, so you blow the enemy away. Right. You know, those are more battle-type reference, I mm -hmm. think. But the righteous are glad. This is really a very positive psalm. Do you have any boxes on these three, Bill? Uh, the th first three verses? Um, let's see yeah. here. Um, I've got, well, I've got plenty of material. Um, let's see, uh, it was perhaps a fanfare of words announcing the movement of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, referencing again, 2 Samuel 6. Um, let's see, the figure of the vanishing smoke has occurred before. See Psalm 3720. Uh, for that of the melting wax, see Psalm 97.5. Um... See, you can also see the wax metaphor used in Psalm 22:14. Oh, here we go. Um, there is. Oh no, that's verse four. So yeah, so that's all I got for for the first three verses. 
Okay. Well, I heard you saying four, so do you have a box on that one? Go I right do. ahead. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, the King James Version, and uh, apparently what uh, what it actually says is, I extol him that writeth upon the heavens by his name, Yah. It is not a full Yahweh, but an abbreviation of, uh, of the covenant name. Um, Oops. Got to reference Isaiah 40, verse 3. Um, uh, let's see. The translation, upon the heavens, upon the heavens, uh, is rests on a rabbinical interpretation of Araboth. Uh, by derivation, it, Araboth, means a dry, sandy region or a steppe. The singular, not a step like I took a step or a bunch of steps leading up to the second floor, but a step like S-T-E-P-P-E, like the steps in Africa or in or okay. Russia. Um, let's see, uh, which is a dry, sandy region. Um, the singular of the noun forms with the article a proper name designating the Jordan Valley. Um, let's see. By his name, Yah, better his name is Yah. This is an abbreviated form of Jehovah. It is first found in Exodus 15, verse 2. Uh, no doubt the verse is a fragment of a song as old as the Exodus. Uh, let's see. Um, it may be noted, notice here that the dependence of the psalm on older songs is nowhere more conspicuous than in the very various use of the divine names, Elohim, Adonai, El, Shaddai, Jehovah, and Yah. Uh, Yah, the shortened form of Jehovah, Song of Moses. Uh, let's see, it's repeated here in verse 18 and recurs in Isaiah 26, 4. Um, Dr. K suggests that it represents the concentration of God's redeeming power and love. Uh, let's see, repeat of the names, and that's it for four. Okay, my turn. Your turn, please. On verse four in particular, because yeah. we have several that will be like this tonight. I like it, the fact that it says in my translation, exalt him who rides on the clouds. Because not only does it refer back but it also refers forward to the ascension of Jesus and then forward further to when he comes back. He rides on the cloud when he go ascends to heaven. Actually, he's covered by the clouds too often in some people's minds. He stepped on a cloud and rose you know, like an elevator. <laughs> Uh, that's not what it means, but it, until he was hidden by the clouds is what it tells us in Acts 1. But in Acts 1, we're also told that two men in bright raiment appeared with the disciples who were watching Jesus ascend and said, what are you looking at? Uh, he's going to come back the same way. Uh, and that's the first reference to him coming back in the clouds. So uh, I like that one in this particular point because it does 
show how many times, well, there are many times in the Bible where it talks about this is not only about right now, it's also about the future. And David is definitely uh, saying that singing and praising God is absolutely paramount. And it just so happens Jesus was involved with clouds and he will be again. So there I have that. Moving, uh, okay. moving forward then. Sure. Okay, verse five. Um, there was a note uh, that the uh, Septuagint, the Vulgate, prefix this verse with, they shall be troubled by the face of him who is, which seems to indicate that the abrupt introduction of this description of God is due to some loss in the text. Um, and there are a couple hmm. of spots where the... Uh, uh, where there seem to be abrupt changes and in introductions of things, um, which kind of make the make the psalm less smooth flowing, um, that uh, that suggests that uh, there could have been bits and pieces of this lost time. I see what you mean by a gap between four and five. Yeah. Uh, I do not see anything about the face that you're referencing. Uh, that's in the that's in the Septuagint and the Vulgate text. So if you're not using... Well, I don't think too many of our listeners have those Not necessarily, no. Um, the the yeah. Septuagint is the, uh, is the, old, uh, the Old Testament time. Uh, <laughs> well, it, the silent era uh, time, time between the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Um, a bunch of, uh, bunch of Hebrews got together and thought it would be a good idea to translate the Hebrew text into Greek, and there were 72, 72 or 70? 70. 70. 70 uh, translators who there's, worked on There's discussions always. That's true. Was it really 7-0 or what we call 7-0 right. or 7-2? It's usually yeah, And by the way, I don't know that it was so much that it was them wanting to do it as it was Alexander the Great requiring all religious groups well, it was done after, uh, to uh, write their stuff in Greek. Okay, because um, basically the reasoning that was given to me for the translation was that so many Jews had left Israel and now were only speaking and reading in Greek because of Alexander's uh, conquest of the world. And that the, uh, the translation actually wasn't completed until well after Alexander's death. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the Vulgate is. We don't have the exact start time either. Right. But definitely um, result of the Greek influence throughout the world. Yeah. And yes, many Jews had scattered, just like today. There are more Jewish people in New York than there are in all of Israel. Yep. Uh, you know, and there's so there's a scattering around yeah. no matter what. That's right. Um, and then uh, uh, the Vulgate is a Latin translation of the uh, of the Bible, um, taken from. Now I don't remember if it's taken from the original Hebrew or or the Septuagint. I don't remember what. Mostly they from the Septuagint. Mostly from the Septuagint. Okay. Yeah, if not entirely. Uh, yep. But uh, but that's in Latin, and uh, uh, and I haven't read it because I don't read Latin. Uh, 
<laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a dead language anyway. Yeah, so. no kidding. Uh, let's see. Um, but uh, in the cross-referencing, I was uh, reminded of uh, James one twenty-seven out of verse five: "Pure and unblemished religion, as it is expressed in outward acts, is the sight of our God. In the sight of our God and Father, is this to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world." Absolutely. It's a great reference for James. Yep. And it's certainly something that we should be doing. And the way our government is going, we may have to pick up those pieces uh, in the church life again. Who knows? Yep. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. And no, I'm not trying to go political tonight at all. Nope. I'm just stating facts. Facts of the world. The government is spreading itself so thin with so many different projects, some of which I approve and some of which I don't. And that's the way politics is. Okay. You got anything on five? Not in particular. Okay. Uh, you covered nicely with fatherless and champion of widows. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see, verse 6, all I have uh, here in my notes is read Acts 12 and 16 for more on the Lord free prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory what it's saying here. Right. Uh, although it's amazing, God provides homes for those who are deserted, and he leads out of prison to prosperity. Uh, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. You know, it's good deserving folks get helped, and the people who aren't deserving don't get help. Well, it's not even about deserving because we all, none of us deserves God's help. It's about, uh, it's, it's about uh, rebelling against him actively. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And I don't know that, you know, it may be more active on God's viewpoint right. than it is on many of ours. Yeah. Uh, God sees more details to things than we do. He understands people's meanings and desires, whereas we may just see, oh, that person's not really acting one way or the other right now. You know, we may not try to put that as somebody who is... Uh, Rebellious against God. Yeah. Um, let's yeah. see. Um, verse 7 is, uh, let's see, um, the first of three unmistakable historic retrospects. The rescue from Egypt, the conquest of Canaan, and the establishment of Jerusalem as the political and religious capital. Uh, and don't forget the Selah. Think about it. Selah, this. that's right. Meditate. It's in there, too. Uh, the music is yeah. especially of Deborah's Mighty Song. You can find that in Judges 5. Um, and uh, let's see, um, which may, which directly or indirectly colored so much of later Hebrew poetry. And uh, you can see that in Habakkuk 3. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, and then the pulpit uh, makes note that this is the central portion of the song, so, uh, verses 7 through 28. Uh, God is praised for his doings in connection with the history of Israel. 
and first of all in the present passage for his doings at Sinai and in the wilderness. Yeah, seven and eight uh, are uh, uh, are echoes of the Song of Deborah in Judges five verses four to five, four and five. Because <laughs> there's nothing really yeah. to go through. And, to get. and the references to rain is blessings. Yes. So it's not just the physical rain, which was a blessing, if it was in season. Right. We have portions of scripture where it tells us about rains in season and out of season when it can actually hurt crops. You don't want it raining heavy when you're trying to gather up crops. It really brings about molding for early. It, uh, it makes it very difficult to get there and get out and do all that in the rain. And uh, so we have references, but this is blessings. David is definitely focusing on them now. And he talks about, hey, back when we settled in the land, it wasn't perfect. In fact, I think at this point, David should have gone back and read a little bit uh, <laughs> because it wasn't all just peaches and cream when they settled in the land. Yeah. They had at least five years of fighting to drive out uh, the inhabitants that God told them to. They didn't complete it in five years. In fact, they never truly completed it. So, uh, and that was several hundred years. And we have to realize that it takes responding to God to get God's help and assistance always. Absolutely. Um, let's see, uh, I've got references, more references in verse eight to uh, to um, Deborah's song. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, you can and read that's... that in uh, in Judges five, I think. Yeah. You got anything for eight? No, sir. I'm anxiously awaiting for 11B. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, okay, let's go ahead with, uh, with verse 11. Um, these were 11 through 14 refer to the conquest of Canaan. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, then 11 through 23, from God's mercies to his people at Sinai and into the wilderness, the psalmist goes into, on to consider those connected with the conquest of Canaan and the establishment of David's widespread rule. Uh, past is difficult and obscure, perhaps from its embodying fragments of the earlier Hebrew poetry. It is also full of curious transitions and of ellipses which make the meaning doubtful. So, uh, so we've got some problems with the translation here. Um, and uh, uh, for verse 11, I, I found it interesting that the King James was the only one version I have that I'm reading, not to say it was women who made the proclamation. Everybody else said the women make the proclamation, and King James just said the people. <laughs> yep. It's, it's the way the issues that we have. Yep. Uh, oh, by the way, for our listeners, King James, which was absolutely fantastic for the 15th century, or is that the 16th century? 
It was century. published in 
I don't remember which resource I saw that on, but it was like, wait a minute, we have six books, five books that were, you know, during that time frame. but it's supposed to be the first recorded uh, type of poetic, and it's female doing it. Yep. Female are, are terribly undervalued in the Old Testament. I mean, we had Deborah, who was a judge. We've already talked about her. Right. And Miriam with this particular uh, bringing of the good news that the Egyptian army was destroyed. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. In verse 12, one thing. Are we? Was that uh, what you wanted to hit on 11? That was it okay. for 11. <laughs> Uh, one thing I liked in verse 12 is that uh, where kings of armies did flee apace in the uh, in the King James, uh, apparently the better translation is kings of armies, flee, flee. <laughs> hmm. I kind of like that. Uh, but, uh, um, but yeah, and of course the women waiting uh, as the, for the uh, outcome of the war to be uh, brought to them. And, uh, um, but uh, um, the next verse, uh, 13, uh, indicates we must suppose a linked reference to some tribe or party who shirked the dangers of battle and played the part of the stay-at-home. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, what comes to mind is at the very end of Judges, uh -huh. uh, the, the tribe of Dan was doing some pretty nasty things. Yeah. And all the tribes went, other tribes went to war against Dan to try to get them to change their ways. And, and Dan nearly got wiped out. And they stopped before they annihilated the tribe and there were no longer enough women to be for those surviving men to have wives and thereby have children again. And it was decided that one particular community that did not send anyone to the war itself uh, rather than destroy them they basically made them give up, not willingly, but give up uh, some 200 women within their community to s support Dan, to let them have, Dan have wives. Uh, so there's one example of a stay-at-home group from wartime. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the one the reference... Uh... Uh, Reuben. Reuben may be the one uh, that's being addressed here um, uh, because even in our ignorance of these allusions, there are some allusions. Um, let's see. Now here, I'll read the whole thing. The agreement of the ancient versions in rendering these difficult verses shows that their obscurity does not arise as in, as in the case of so many passages of the psalm from any corruptions of the text, but from the fact that they are an adaptation of some ancient war song 
to circumstances to which we have no clue. If we could recover the illusions, the language would probably appear clear enough. Even in our ignorance of these illusions, we at once recognized in the first member of this antique verse the scornful inquiry of Judges 5.16, addressed to the inglorious tribe that preferred ease at home to the dangers and discomforts of battle. And that verse, uh, Judges 5.16, is why, Reuben, did you linger among the sheepfolds to hear the piping of the flock? Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of hearts. So, uh, so, the, uh, so verse 12, uh, verse 13 and 14, verse 13 and 14 uh, could very well be uh, referring to Reuben's uh, unwillingness to, uh, to uh, leave their, uh, their belongings and go to war with the rest of uh, hmm. Interesting uh, and a little bit distracting, I think, from what's going on here, but so are verses 15 and 16 in particular. Um, if we can go on there, I don't know if you're ready to. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, uh, just wanted to reference in verse 14, uh, Zalman uh, in the Amplified. Uh, in other versions, it's Salmon with a T and Salmon with an S. Um, it's a dark wooded hill near Shechem. And uh, in the in verse fourteen, it says the King James the King James says it was white as snow in salmon, salmon probably probably pronounced yeah. And uh, I had wondered if this could be a reference to it normally being dark there. And then uh, MacArthur brings up that the snow pictures the contrast of corpses or bones scattered over the mountain. So, <laughs> so. Uh, could be some interesting, uh, some interesting word pictures going on there. Um, but yeah, 15, uh, uh, this is the third retrospect, um, the third scene in the sacred drama of Israel's early fortune. It sets forth the glory of God's chosen mountain. And uh, in verse 15, yep. And in, uh, in verse 15, uh, what's uh, translated as many peaked in the English standard, uh, could also be hunchbacked, uh, both in 15 and in 16. I'll be. One of the notes I have on it is that, uh, let's see, where did it go? Well, I thought I had underlined it. Point being is that Mount Bashan has many little peaks, and the allusion to those little peaks represent the multiple enemies of God who are always looking to try to take down the bigger peak. But so we have that in there um, uh, because indeed it talks about why gaze with envy, you mountain peaks. I, uh, I didn't write it. I didn't write it down, but isn't Bashan where uh, King Og came from? Or was that where yes. he went to? No, that it was will settle probably for about two years before they cross the Jordan. Right. And uh, but that is indeed the territory of Og and Shion, King Shion also. Right. Um, and uh, 
So in a way, God was settling, and they looked at it as he was settling on top of this mountain peak. Right. Uh, too many illustrations on that one to go into. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, here... Do you have any other notes yeah. on these parts? Um, let's see. This is per perhaps this another... Uh, the verse 15 is perhaps another quote from an ancient poem. Um, and then uh, the special object of the psalmist thought is not Bashan, but Mount Zion. And what he is about to celebrate is Jehovah's choice of Mount Zion for his dwelling place and his establishment on it. Uh, that's from the pulpit. And, uh, yeah. Uh, As he was in... Go ahead. As he was at Sinai. Remember, Sinai was the first mountain that the people went to right. to get the Ten Commandments from God. Yeah. They're referencing China. So, yeah, we can see it, but it's not really that God was settling on these mountaintops because he's everywhere. Right, right. Uh, but for reference points of letting the, you know, the people knew they had gone to these different places. David's reminding them of that. God was always there and always with them and always doing things. Um, can I do 18 yet? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I've got, well, I've got a difference in translation here that I thought was important. In verse 16, the King James says, Why leap ye, ye high hills? Um, the verb only occurs uh, here. Um, but uh, uh, Franz Delisch. Uh, along with uh, Carl Friedrich Kiel, were Protestant German theologians during the 19th century. Um, by comparison with an Arabic root, uh, expressed the attitude of a beast crouching down for a spring on its prey. A fine image, the jealous hills lying like panthers ready to spring on the passing Israelites. And uh, I, I thought it interesting that uh, that if that's what the if that's the word, then in the Hebrew, then why isn't it in the other uh, in the other translations? Like uh, uh, like the Amplified in verse sixteen, why do you look with envy? Fountains with many peaks. And so it's as though the only one that was uh, that was that's true. Although uh, let's see, sixteen Amplified, yeah, the amp uh, the not the Amplified, the Young's literal translation also says, why do you envy? Ohio's. And yet the uh, the Hebrew would appear to be leap. So it seems like they, the translators might have made a leap of their own. It's always yeah. doing the best that they can at the time. Yep, doing the best and they can. And we still see that today with, with translations. Yep. And that's why for the show we try to bring out different ideas yeah. all the time. Um, I wanted to say in 17, if, uh, if I may, um, that, uh, let's see, 17, let me bring up verse itself, 17. Uh, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. Uh, myriads could also be multiples of 10,000. Um, yep. I think this is another case of numbers not being numbers, um, not simply being numbers. Um, Things like saying things like thousands or tens of thousands are basically were basically the ancient's way of saying lots or a whole bunch of a lot. 
Um, or beyond numbering. Beyond numbering. Well, multiples of 10,000 would definitely be beyond numbering. And uh, this is referring... For them, it would have been. Yeah. Uh, well, because he's referring to the Lord's host, the, to the host of the Lord, it certainly can be, because we have no idea how many angels God's made. How many do fit on the head of a pin? <laughs> That is a good question. We, should, we, joke, we should say we, long we joke, but yet we have, yet we have records of people, scholars in the Dark Ages, mm -hmm. medieval times, literally hold discussions on how many angels can fit on the head of a pen. You know, it's, but uh, yeah, definitely, it's amazing. Uh, but what the whole point would be is they're beyond numbering. And there's no ability, no way or ability to be able to count how many angels there are. Yeah. But yes, the 10,000 times thousands upon thousands, it's just beyond numbering. But the Lord is among them. And he's in the sanctuary. Yes, uh, you know, it, it is beyond my comprehension how Jesus can be with every single person on the earth at the same time and still be other places. Everywhere but he I needs do to believe be. it. I do believe it. Okay. Okay. Now are we to 18? We are now to 18. Okay. You ascended the heights, taking captives away. Reference to the past because of Joshua and taking captives and, and destroying enemies, several other judges doing the same things. David certainly uh, taking captives. And yes, that really means taking slaves. Don't like it, but it's the way it was back then. It's just wrong. Uh, but it's not just about back then. It's described in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. When Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives free. Heaven was not open for believers before he went up and opened it, with two exceptions. Two. Uh, and so Enoch and Elijah were taken, allowed up into heaven. Uh, the others were not until Jesus ascended. Uh, now, we I don't want to get into a discussion. Does that mean the day of ascension, or does it mean when Jesus actually rose from the grave? It's a 40-day period, and in God's time, that's not even a, <laughs> not even a second. But it's still a reference again to how many things in the Bible point and talk about things that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And they're fulfilled by the Son of God. So I like that one. Yes, indeed. Um, let's see, wanted to make note uh, that uh, there in 18, uh, the Young's Literal Translation uses Yah, God, in place of the translation, Lord God, Lord in all capitals. Uh, and the pulpit commentary states the Hebrew here is Yah Elohim, 
So again, we've got the uh, the abbreviated form of the covenant name, uh, and uh, Elohim, which means wait, is that God Almighty. Elohim, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, also, I okay. uh, wanted to note that Paul cites this verse in Ephesians four, ch uh, chapter four, verse eight. It's what I already said. You did say that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I missed it. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, and uh, the yeah, then that's it. Um, let's see. I've also got notes uh, for uh, going and taking a look at. Second Samuel chapter six verse twelve to nineteen and first Chronicles fifteen eleven to twenty-eight. So you all mm -hmm. can uh, go and uh, and check those out on your own. Um, let's see, we are at fifty-three minutes. Do we wanna stop there? We are kind of at the uh, end of the scene. I suppose so. And you thought we didn't get through yeah. much last week. Yeah. We're going in much more details. Than we are. We are indeed. We had originally planned. So, folks, don't worry about reading five chapters a week. Let's go with one at a time. And if we get into another one, you'll still be prepared. Yeah. You will. Of course, there's nothing that says you could read five chapters a week. You'll just be ahead of us. That is true. So, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, so I will make a mark there. At 20? At, at 19. Okay. It's really the only thing, uh, 19. So, no, there's stuff for 19. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> we got it. So, gentle inquisitors, if you have come this far with us, perhaps you will come a little bit further and join us in this family of God. We do this not with sacrifice, because sacrifice, all the sacrifice we need was taken care of in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And, uh, and with his resurrection, uh, we are given life. And, uh, we don't use magical spells or mystical ceremonies. Uh, that's not how we roll. Uh, indeed, uh, in fact, uh, no uh, no set of words can save you. Um, although uh, the Bible does say that uh, to be saved, you must uh, confess with your mouth and uh, believe in your heart that uh, that Jesus is Lord. And uh, so we do this uh, with the sinner's prayer. And uh, uh, all salvation comes from a change of heart and direction. Um, the, the saying the word certainly uh, doesn't hurt. <laughs> and so, uh, um, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. So if you are falling continually short of the glory of God, we invite you to say the sinner's prayer with us. Whether you've been a believer for a second or a century, because, uh, again, we need to uh, align our hearts with that of the Lord's. So uh, follow along with us here. And, uh, you can say your own words. The thief on the cross merely said, Lord, uh, uh, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And so uh, we say a little bit more than that because we've got a little more time on our hands than, uh, than, that, uh, than the poor thief on the cross did. Thief or rebel, depending on, uh, on whose translation you want to, uh, 
want to agree with. And so, uh, uh, so join us as we say uh, as we say the sinner's prayer with, uh, together. Dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Cleanse me of my wickedness. Show me how to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Show me how to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And teach me how to love my neighbor as myself. Teach me how to love my neighbor as myself. Uh, guide my steps along the path you would have me take. Guide my steps on the path you would have me take. And help me to do the work you have me to do and help me to continue doing the work you have for me. Come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Remain in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. All these things we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All these things we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. There we go. The first step. That's the uh, that's the narrow gate for you. Um, and uh, now, uh, now it's about uh, going along the narrow path. And uh, having flipped through YouTube a couple times, I've seen some narrow paths. Uh, <laughs> there was there was one uh, there was one little movie of somebody riding a bicycle downhill on a path that was barely larger, barely wider than the tire of the bicycle. Um, so uh, don't know how somebody would do that, um, but uh, that's basically what we're called on to do go down a narrow path uh, um, and Jesus will help us along the way um, let's see today is Tuesday so uh, uh, you got lots of time before Sunday to find yourself a Bible believing church to go and fellowship with in fact there may be some opportunities to fellowship with fellow believers uh, long before Sunday um, mm -hmm. as uh, many churches do things throughout the course of the week so uh, go find yourself a Bible-believing church with a Bible-preaching pastor and uh, get to going. So, uh, so you can find out what your next steps along that path are going to be. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have other shows for you over the course of the week. We have on Thursday night, we have um, Not Quite After Midnight. I'm trying to look up the uh, the get my guests for next for this coming week. Oh yeah, Tommy Schnurmacher, um, and who uh, says he has stories from the time he babysat for John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and uh, we have a, a two-time guest uh, Zachary Hagen, who wrote a uh, a series of books um, called The Eternal Well, I think. But uh, uh, but Zachary's going to be back and uh glad to have him back and then uh um let's see on saturday we will be covering the next part of what was it first no second corinthians 5 which uh we uh which we found is uh, definitely something worth going in depth in into so uh definitely uh join us as we go through that, hopefully you've already read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but if you haven't, uh, go ahead and read it again. And, uh, uh, or for the first, read it again for the first time. <laughs> and uh, we'll all be on the same page. But uh, go back, if you have missed the past episode, please go back 
and uh, you know you can scroll down the page and find it uh, whether you're listening on one of the podcasting platforms that we use or uh, Facebook or YouTube and uh, and get caught up so that you'll know exactly where we are um, let's see and then a uh, week from tonight will be another episode of YWL online totally approachable Bible study for all and we'll be continuing our dig through the 68th Psalm. Hold on, I gotta see. <laughs> Whoa. Thank you. Apologies. I think you need to cover the mic or unplug the I mic. I covered my nose. I thought that would be enough. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I tur- I was turned away from the uh, from the mic that the audience gets to use, so uh, so they probably didn't get blown away just now. If you did, I apologize. Um, had a tickle in my nose. With that, I believe we've come to the end of another hour um, or so. Do you find gentlemen have anything else to say to the nice people? I love you all. Be safe and be careful. And God's blessing from Branson, Missouri. Yes. Saturday we'll be back in Poplar Bluff because I get to preach on Sunday. Yay! They all they they who get to listen to you are in for a treat. <laughs> I hope they agree with you. If not, I'll come and slap them with my victorious left hand. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, um, but yeah, God's blessings and good night from here in Santa Ana, California. Be safe out there. Remember to wash your hands and stay tuned for the ending credits. Good night. Good night. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, this has been a presentation of Bald Spots Productions. I'd like to thank our producer, my beloved mother, Eileen Hatch. I, of course, am your humble host. I'd also like to thank my co-host, my beloved father, Chaplain Bill Hatch, and my beloved Ed McMahon, Rudy Corlew. Yes. If you feel so led, support the show on Patreon. Uh, we're there as Bald Spots Pro, and uh, we certainly appreciate the support. Don't miss Not Quite After Midnight on Thursday. You can find us on Facebook and wherever fine podcasts are served. Uh, please like, comment, share, subscribe, follow, whatever you got to do to kick the algorithm into gear where you're listening or viewing from um, so that we can reach more people because that's what's important here. Um, you wouldn't believe how happy I was when I saw that uh, we'd exceeded 100 listeners on one of our programs. So uh, please uh, get to going. We depend on you to, uh, to spread the word. So thanks again for tuning in, and have yourself a wonderful whenever.